This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. You might think most banks are the same. At Premise, we agree and we don't like it. Most banks have been given a pass, and we wondered why. Then, we wondered why not. Why not cut red tape? Why not offer actually free checking? Why not send a driver to you? Yeah, literally to your door. Premise is here to be different and be the first bank to get it right. Welcome to banking as it should be. Visit PremiseBank.com to see how. Member FDIC. Picture this. You're fully immersed in your podcast because in the back of your mind, you're not trying to recall when that deadline was supposed to be or stressing to keep everyone updated on next steps. MeetMonday.com, a work management platform that makes having peace of mind easy. With Monday.com, all your work lives in one centralized place. You can automate updates to keep team members up to speed and ensure nothing falls through the cracks, even while you're enjoying your favorite podcast. To start your 14-day free trial, go to Monday.com. Welcome back to another sparkling edition of that Millwall podcast. We once again step into the Lions Den to have a chat with somebody that we've enjoyed watching play up and down the years. Today's guest is Mr. Joe Dolan, live from Australia, where he now lives. How are you, Joe? I'm brilliant, Neil. Thank you. Um, delighted to come on and um, looking forward to having a good chat about the uh, the good old days. Uh, yeah, probably slightly warmer you have a down there than it is here at the minute? Yeah, too warm probably, but um, I won't complain, I'll be honest. Um, it's a pretty special climate down here, so um, me and the wife and the kids have been here six years now. Um, and, you know, I still feel like we're on holiday, really. We're just having a good time and enjoying it. And the world's a much smaller place. You know, my mum and dad had been over and, and we've been back home and obviously... With the current situation, it's a bit different, but um, 
got a good job. Um, missus and kids are happy, so so we're we're here for now. So we'll just start off with your football career. A Bromley mm. boy, yeah, you yeah. telling us before we went on air. Uh, yeah. You started your career at Chelsea. How did that all come about? So I actually lived in a little village called Biggin Hill, um, which is in the borough of Bromley. And um, I, I basically, when I went to secondary school there, my, my head of PE took me under his wing, a fellow called John Burtonshaw, who, who'd been around football for a long time. Um, and he basically moulded me into a, a, well, a reasonable schoolboy footballer. Um, started playing for Bromley. Then I got picked for Kent. So started playing in that Kent, uh, Surrey, Essex, Sussex, uh, in a London comp. And, and Chelsea watched me play. Queen Williams was the head of the academy at the time. Um, and he said, come down and, and have a trial. And I trained with Paul Elliott, was the manager at the time. Um, it was up at Battersea Park on the AstroTurf there. And, um, yeah, they, they signed me at 15. Um and, and me and there was another player there called Matt Stroud, who both were, were reasonably good academically and, and weren't keen on doing the apprenticeship. Um, my mum and dad were both teachers. So um, Gwyn used to be a teacher as well. And, and, and they came to an agreement where I could stay at school and do my A-levels, but also train at Chelsea on a Monday and a Friday. So I did that for two years. Um, and at the end of those two years, they moved to a certain John Terry from centre midfield to centre back and released me. I'm not really sure if they made the right decision. It's not like he went on and made it in himself. Um, and uh, and I was on my way to university and, and John knew somebody at Millwall um, and obviously being in Bromley, only down the road from the training ground, um, they offered me a trial. Um, Mick Flanagan, I think, was the youth team manager at the time. Uh, Rhino was, was there, Macca was there, Billy Bonds was the manager. Um, and I trained with them for a few weeks towards the end of the season, and um, and they offered me a contract. So that was the start of it, really. So what were you going to do at university? Yeah, was your original plan to become a teacher like your parents? Well, no, it was sports science, so that was what I was looking at. I think back then you could just do a sports – I mean, you can still do it now, I think, do a sports yeah. science degree and then bolt your teaching on afterwards. Um, at that point, I actually quite liked writing and reporting. I, I, I really, even when I was playing for Big and Hill Jets, I used to write little reports of the games and send them into the Big and Hill News. So um, you'll, you'll know about the buzz of that. And, and you know, I like that part of it. You obviously looked at the physio part of it, um, the coaching part of it. There wasn't much sports science around at the time. Um, but yeah, I was filling out the UCAS um, form. I was never going to get into Loughborough, but that's where I wanted to go. I was looking at um, Greenwich probably or Bedford. There was the Montfort, I think, University yeah. out of Bedford. But, yeah, didn't didn't have to go in the end and, and enjoyed a few years with, with the Lions. So did you need much persuasion to actually forget university and to carry on with football? Because I guess that being released by Chelsea at that kind of stage, it must have been like a smack in the balls for you. Well, to be honest, my in those two years, 17 and 18, so the first year and the second year of the other boys' apprenticeship, um, my first year went really well. You know, I played in the reserves, played in the youth team, and they actually moved John a little bit earlier than that to, to centre-back. And, and actually, in my second year, I knew pretty early on that I wasn't going to get a contract. I mean, there wasn't many of us that did, and there were a lot of boys that had been at Chelsea 
a lot longer than me, you know, nine, 10, 11 years old. Um, so I'd, I'd sort of come to terms with the fact they weren't going to offer me a deal a bit earlier than that. Um, so I'd, I'd focused on getting my A-level results. I started with three subjects and finished with two, but I knew that that was going to be okay for uni. Um, and it also helped me later on down the line, obviously, with my injuries. So it all proved to be the right call when when I broke my leg. So, um, no, it all worked out quite well. I was, as I say, I was pretty prepared for it. And and I was really grateful, obviously, when Millwall decided they needed a big ball centre-half. <laughs> so you went into Millwall and, yeah, you were learning off some quite good players, I guess. You were learning off what Sean Dyche and uh, Stuart Nethercott. Yeah, well, well, Rhino was still playing. Rhino and Macca were still playing when I first arrived there. Yeah. Um, Scott Fitzgerald, um, big Damien Weber was was in the treatment room most of the time. Nevers came, I think, just after us or maybe just before us. Um, then we had, obviously, Daishi, Dave Tuttle, um, all different characters, all different players. Um, but, yeah, I learned a lot from all of them because they were so different. And, and as, a, as a young kid, you either sink or swim. And when, when them fellas are telling you what to do, you tend to do it. So um, learn pretty quickly. Was it a tough environment to go into? Because obviously there was a lot of strong characters, weren't there? Rhino, Maka, Daichi, or yeah, all that. Lot. They were all very, very strong characters, weren't they? And hardened professionals, shall we say. Yeah, and I, I think we went in, you know, and I always say we, I, I can never sort of, we're still together now on, 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 a, on a WhatsApp group. You just, you know, you can't split us, you know, Eiffel, Reedy, Neil Harris, Mark Bircham, Tony Warner, Richard Sadler, Robbie Ryan, you know, Christoph Kinnett even, um, you know, and then the younger ones that came in, Dunny and Robbo, and, you know, we, we Matty Lawrence, you know, you always forget one, so whoever I forgot, I apologise. <laughs> Um, but we all sort of came in, and and at that first stage, Neil, we we knew that we were valued by the club. I think that was the difference. As, as young lads coming in, obviously Timmy Cale as well, but Tim was always on a bit of a different path than us. Um, you know, we we were valued, and we knew early on. You know, even when we played at Millwall, Rhino and Macca, uh, sorry, at Wembley, when Rhino and Macca picked that team, there was a lot of senior pros that you know, had been at the club longer than us and, and probably felt like they deserved that chance. But, you know, the management gave it to us. And I think that was a real credit to the chairman at the time and Bob Pearson, Rhino and Macca, who were willing to trust these young kids um, with a few older heads around them. So I think it, it was tough, but it didn't take us long to realise that we were valued. And, and that obviously helps you with your confidence. Read it. Didn't mention Stephen Reed. Christ, he'll kill me. He's one of my best mates. But yeah, all of us sort of came through at that same period and, and as I say, felt valued and, and, and that helped us settle in. It was quite a transition period for the club. As you said, there was a change in the guard, wasn't there? You had a lot mm. of young players, young, very, very, very good players coming through. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, I try and remember the guys that were there when we first got there, and like you say, we had no idea what this political sort of divide was was about. But the likes of Kenny Brown, Carl Viet used to be at Palace, Paul Allen, um, you know, these real big names in the game that played a lot, but we didn't even train with them, you know. We were, we were almost bypassing them. And, you know, credit always has to go to a, to a guy called Steve Britt. 
Um, Gritty was the assistant manager um, and just managed that situation brilliantly. You know, we I remember winning the league, the Avon Insurance, whatever it was, with with, was um, no with Gritty in charge. And it was me and Lakey and Mark Phillips and Jamie Stewart. Um, but we it, it felt like winning the World Cup because of the way Gritty treated us, you know, and, and he made us feel important. And that whole transition, as you say, from the older guard to the newer guard, um, we, we were a bit oblivious to being as young as we were. Um, but yeah, definitely. And, and clubs obviously go through that at different times and it can affect the results on the pitch. But we were lucky that everything that seemed to happen behind the scenes seemed to result in good, good results on the pitch. Yeah, I think that Theo had set it up because I think that was the early days of Theo, wasn't it? He'd come in and uh, wanted to make Millwall self-sufficient, I guess, by bringing all of these young players through. Yeah, and he, and he placed a lot of trust in Bob because I think, and others, you know, other people that, that worked hard behind the scenes for Millwall and had done for years, you know, the talent that, that we used to get from Ireland and, and all over the, the country to um, to get you know, good, talented young players knocking on the door of the first team. Um, and, you know, the, the real unfortunate part for us is that, you know, Rhino and Macca got us in the team and we, we, we're always grateful to them for that. And we'll never forget that day when we were away at Brentford. Um, and I think we drew either nil-nil or one-all. Um, and as we were coming off the pitch, you know, the fans were booing and, you know, they were, they were clearly going for Rhino and Macca. And I think, you know, we, we were so shocked. We were surprised and, and didn't know where it was coming from. I think we had a couple of games in hand. Um, but obviously, you know, that change was made by Theo. And um, and with Mark McGee coming in, you, you can't look back and say it was the wrong call because Mark obviously took us to the next level and, and nobody could ever say that Rhino and Macca couldn't have done that. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a, as, as I say, it was a brave decision. But ended up with us winning the league, so that they didn't get it wrong either. Yeah, if we go back a little bit, you actually made your debut for us against Gillingham, didn't you? In the also windscreen shield run. What can you yeah. remember about that game? I yeah, but I think I was there. Yeah, no, I remember um people saying, Do you know who Bob Taylor and Carla Sava are? And I went, No, until I read the um the pre-match report and it, it was a bit daunting. Um so, yeah, it, it was it all it all happened pretty quickly. Um, I think Fitz was injured, and I think Rhino had played the first leg. Um, again, all a bit sketchy, um, but I'm, I'm pretty sure Rhino played the first leg. That might have felt a little bit weary in the legs um, after that, and, and so again, I'm, I'm eternally grateful that they trusted me to go and play that second leg. Um, and, and I just think everything went right. You know, at the end of the day, you, you, all the things that you've learned along the way, you try and make good decisions and um, and things went our way on the night. I think it went to extra time, didn't it? And Sad's, it did. Sad's got the winner. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a phenomenal, great day for me to um, to get my first game for the boys and, and obviously be in there with, with some of those young lads as well. It was It was a brilliant, brilliant debut. Yeah, but it fully justified your decision to actually not go to university then. I guess, yeah, but I guess after what happened at Chelsea, you thought, yeah, there's something in this football arc. Yeah, true. I mean, as I say, like, you know, I didn't play, I wasn't in the academy system from seven or eight or nine, you know, yeah. that, that was, 
I never really, I wasn't one of those kids who was like, I have to be a professional footballer. You know, this is, this is what, this is for me. I, I was never like that. And I, I put that down to my dad. You know, my dad was, um, was a brilliant parent in every way, but mostly in that whole football upbringing. He, he never got involved. Um, he let me find my own way. He never commented on, on whether I played well or not. Um, he was the bloke walking up and down the sideline given out the pints of Guinness, London Pride, Lager, you know, he, he just he just let in me get on with it, Neil. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's that's why I'm where I am today, because I follow those values myself. Um, you know, even when I'm coaching now and kids you, you're trying to interact with kids about what they've been told and what they know about the game and and I still say, Well, yeah, you've got that from your coach, and that's right, because your coach has told you to do it, so you do it yourself. And, you know, my dad with me, there, there was one thing, Neil, one, one story. All, all it would be, he'd always lay the newspaper out in the car because you're always covered in mud, isn't you, when you finish playing. And when I got home, it's straight up to the bath. And, and if, I'd done, if I'd done well, if I'd done what I was told, I'd come down and my boots would be clean. And, um, and then I'd know, all right, well, that's it. I've obviously done a good job today. And if I'd come down and my boots were still dirty, well, I knew that I hadn't done what he'd expected. But... You know, there was no, there was really no pressure from him. Um, and I think that really allowed me to relax and and not feel that. I mean, the, the time at Chelsea, those three years was intensely uh, pressurised. You know, it was a real tough environment. I mean, Glenn Hoddle left there and went and, and took the, the England job. Um, Hullet came in. Um, Viali was a little bit different. But, you know, I, I was so fortunate. And that's the way I looked at it, Neil. I was fortunate to be there. And, and that just meant that I looked at everything differently and, and came away from every training session knowing I was becoming a better player. Although the chances of me getting a pro contract there were, were slim, I knew that from the start. So, yes. you know, to come away from there, I actually knew that I'd, I'd become a better footballer. Um, and to go to Millwall and, and be told to do, you know, the basics well, I, I was comfortable with that, you know, and that, that was... You know, what I found in those early years was I was I was playing like I did for Chelsea for Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland played a back three and, you know, at international level, you know, people didn't put you under pressure and we could we could pass it and we could play. And then obviously when I'm going to Colchester away or Walsall away, you got to edit, you got to mark, you got to kick it, you got to cover, you got to win your headers. And, and, and I was fine doing that too. So, you know, I really enjoyed, obviously, those first few years. And... Yeah, once you made your debut, you were a little bit more regular, weren't you? Yeah, you enjoyed quite a little run of games. Yeah, I was pretty, again, pretty lucky that the management had a bit of a uh, a strategy in that if we win, we don't change the team. And if we draw, you know, if we did majority of the things right, we're not we're not going to change it too much. And um, yeah, I, I was I was really lucky to Nevers was was I think captain by then and. Um, I'd, I'd imagine it was either Birch or, or Matty Lawrence on the right and Robbie or Jamie Stewart on the left. And we, we, we formed a really good team. Livers in front of the back four, um, Chopper and Sads were scoring goals. So, you know, as a defender, if you're winning games, you tend to stay in the team. So, yeah, I had a nice little run. And then we get to Wembley, the also win Screen Shield final. Yeah. In your hand, the number six shirt, I think you were, weren't you, that day? Yeah, yeah, and it's probably one of the only clips, you know, the, their winner is probably one of the only clips 
I've got of, of, of footage of us playing and I didn't watch it for a long time because we knew we all knew there was nothing in the game. It was it obviously wasn't a great spectacle, but the fact that Millwall had got there was was just to see that many fans was just amazing. Um, and for for a long time, I actually thought I was at fault for the goal, like really at fault. Um, and it wasn't until I don't know ten years ago that I watched it and I thought, oh, it actually, wasn't my fault, um, which made me feel a little bit better. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, we um, really really underwhelming, wasn't it, you know, for the fans as well. And thankfully, we've had the opportunity to go to Wembley several times since and um, and had some better better results. But, um, yeah, it was a monumental occasion. And for us being 18, was 90, or 99, was it? Uh, yeah. 99, yeah, so we were 19. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, we missed probably the highlight of that was the away win at Walsall. Um, you know, I don't think I played the first leg of that and I, I sort of played that one, which was a brilliant result and the fans were on the pitch and we lost our shirts, our shorts. I think I came off in my pants and my boots and that was about it. But, um, yeah, it was it was a it was a great day and, and obviously, you know, we were just disappointed with the result. What was the build-up to Wembley like? Yeah, different. Different, a lot of media, and and obviously we we weren't used to that. We we were used to Dino standing, coming in and talking to one of the boys on a Friday, and that was probably it. Um, so we sort of got a bit of an insight into right at this time you're going to do this, and you know I think it, you know it ruffles a few feathers. Rhino and Macca weren't used to that, um, you know being sort of told what you're going to train here because you've got to do this and you've got to get your suit fitted. I remember that guy from uh, Jeff Jeff somebody Jeff. Jeff Banks. Jeff Banks. Well done. Well done. Jeff Banks was in at the den and we were doing suit fittings and yeah, it was all it was all very um all very uh rock and roll, if for for want of a better phrase. But it was different because as I say, you, you sort of got moved around a little bit. And I think I think our results in the league might have dropped off a little bit. I think um, you know, that that might have happened that year as well. So yeah, it was a bit different, but um a little bit of a glimpse into what the boys at the top level have to deal with on a daily basis, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I guess that was the first time that many of you had owned a suit, wasn't it? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I wore, you see some of the Man of the Match awards I got at the Den. I was wearing my dad's suits and my dad's ties. They were horrendous. <laughs> but um, it, was like, it was either that or my school uniform. So, um, so, yeah, it was the best suit I ever had. I think I've probably still got it. <laughs> you probably still wheel it out, don't you? <laughs> I've got it somewhere. It's in the loft somewhere. The, the best part about it was the little um, FA Cup. Oh no, that's the FA Cup. Sorry, not the not the not that one. The FA Cup. We got cufflinks. So you got beautiful little FA Cup replica cufflinks. But we'll get to that later, I suppose. <laughs> so, do you think it was a case of the side was too young for that final? Uh, not really. Not really. I just don't think we performed. Wigan didn't perform either. You know, you, you can tell by the way that they celebrated that goal. You know, they were just relieved that something had fallen to somebody and and they'd scored a goal. We, we just weren't very good on the day. We didn't create many chances. And, you know, it was just one of those things. I don't think, as I say, Wigan had a lot more experience in their team and were a decent side at the time. Um, but we, we just didn't perform. And, and, you know, I know Richard Sadler had been away at the Under-18 World Cup and, you know, it was a big decision to put him in and, you know, it, it didn't pay off. Um, but you can go around the team and say that we, we didn't 
do this, we didn't do that. At the end of the day, we, if we'd have got beat 5 0, Neil, I might have said, yeah, we got it all wrong. We weren't anywhere yeah. near it. But the fact is, I think they scored in a, whatever it was, 88th, 89th minute or yeah. 91st even. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we weren't out of play, but we just didn't perform to our ability on the day. Yeah, but I guess it must have been galling to actually get the Wembley and then not perform and then to make it even worse, a last-minute winner against a Northern outfit. Yeah, I think the worst part about it was that they went and celebrated in front of their tiny little strip of fans and, and we did a lap of honour and we lost. Um, yeah, it was it was galling. Galling's a good word. It was heartbreaking, to be honest, you know, because we'd... We knew that we could have won and we knew that we hadn't performed. You know, I think that's the thing. You you almost feel if we'd have given our lot and hit the post and hit the bar and, you know, they, they got the last minute, you could say, well, we showed everyone we were the better team. But I think anyone that you spoke to on the day said that it wasn't a great game and, and neither of you really deserved to win it. So more disappointed in not performing than, than, the, than the result. What's it like in the dressing room after after that? kind of performance or that kind of situation that you're in you've just lost a cup final and yeah not, not, not good I've been to Wembley for donkey's years yeah yeah no not good and, and and you feel the weight of of the support on your on your shoulders and the club as well because you know a lot of people had had, had invested in us spent the day there spending the night there and um, you know, the chairman had obviously backed us with with everything that he'd given us to support that run. So, um, you know, it's a pretty lonely place. Um, but, you know, we had a lot of, of, of youthful players and, and, and a lot of decent seniors. And what I mean by that is they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't just bollock the younger lads and bully the younger lads just because they're younger. You know, they were, they were, they were really good guys. You know, that's why Nevers was the captain for so long. And... Um, you know, it, it was it was it was a tough one to take, but as I say, it, it was tougher because we hadn't performed well enough to win. And then we could have got promoted that season, I think, as well, couldn't we? We lost out to a same we like yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we drew nil nil at home and lost one nil away, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that. I remember that one. That was that was worse. That was a real. Um, that was a real gutter. I remember the trip home from Wigan. I was on the bench. I didn't plan that game, so I'd obviously come out for whatever reason. But um, yeah, again, you know, you, you look at those and those kind of coach trips home, and 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 you forget them in the longer term because you think about all the good things and you remember yeah. the good the good things which came obviously the you know the following seasons, but. You know, it was memories like that that drove us on to make sure that, you know, we strengthened and Theo backed the manager. And, you know, I remember, seeing, you know, Rhino was obviously devastated after that, the Wembley one, but he was even more so after the Wigan one. And you felt you felt bad for them. You know, they'd invested in us and, and, and you know, we'd let them down at the final hurdle. Um, so, you know, that it, was, it, is, it is, Neil, a community club. It's a, it's a family club. And and when you when you lose, you feel it. You know, it's not like you, you don't get clapped off the pitch. You know, you don't get that. Everyone's devastated, and, and, that, and that's completely normal because that's what that's what gets them behind us, and that's why we win games home and away because of the way our our fans love the club. 
And um, you know, many managers and players haven't haven't felt that. But the ones that have, the ones that came through with my generation, have never experienced it anywhere else. So you know, the the disappointment in losing to Wigan, the disappointment in losing to Birmingham a few years later, that was probably the toughest night I had. I was injured then, I think. Um, but losing to Birmingham was 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 gutting the way that 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 happened and. You know, it just shows that they love the club. I know they might take it a little bit too far, um, but who can judge them when, when they invest so much in their club? So, you know, hopefully we've given them more ups and downs over the last few years. Yeah, but that season was really the making of the... Yeah, well, yeah, we touched upon it then, really. Yeah, but it was the making of the promotion, wasn't it? Yeah. Because we actually got promotion the following season. So did you go into that promotion winning season knowing that something quite special was around the corner because of everything that had happened a year before? We we went into it determined to not be in that situation again, Neil. I think that that was that's 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 learning. You know, the, the last thing we wanted was to be that team again in the playoffs. So, you know, as a group, you know, Neil Harris was really developing into a leader. David Livermore, Timmy Lucas, Tony Warner in the goal. Daishi Nevers. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, even those guys were just, they were the ones that were dragging us and going, come on, we ain't, we're not going to be that team. And, and we went with it. And, um, you know, you, you see through that season that, that we were up there you know, a lot of the a lot of the season because we knew we didn't want to be in that situation again. So you're dead right. We we definitely learned from it, and and didn't fear anyone either. I think when you're young, you've got less fear, and and with those results, that just you know, as I say, after that, after Rhino and Macca left, um, you know, we won those couple of games and then got on a really good roll and and took it all the way to the end of the season. So. Um, you know, it was deserved, but we, as you say, we'd had some heartache at the final hurdle in the previous couple of years, so we needed to learn from it. Yeah, that's a great motivation, isn't it? Absolutely great motivation that you don't want to feel like that again. So let's go out and let's do something about it. And let's face it, you're the only people that can do something about it, really, aren't you? Yeah, we can give you all the support you want off the pitch. But ultimately, mm. it's on the pitch that, that actually matters. Yeah, and it was just those little comments from those senior players when it was the games that we were expected to win. You know, don't expect this to... And, and as young players, they're the ones where you might take your foot off the gas. And with the senior boys saying, wait, come on, this is a cup final. This is another cup final. And, and we we all we were all receptive to that, the younger lads, and, and, um, and had been part of what we'd experienced the years before. So, so definitely it was a motivation and an inspiration to make sure that we could celebrate by finishing first or second. And yeah, well, yeah, I know we touched upon it a little bit earlier, but that Brentford away game uh, where things turned a bit sour for Macca and Rhino, did you see mm. that coming? No. Within the squad? No, absolutely not. I mean, looking back now, no. And, and even, you know... We, we just found it bizarre right then that um, I think, I don't know where we where we were in the table, seventh or eighth or something. Yeah, um, we weren't that far off, were we? Well, we weren't no, and I think we had, that 
results weren't bad. No, and I think we we might have had one or two games in hand, but maybe maybe we just we were getting nervous as a club. Maybe we hadn't performed that well in previous games and only just scraped over the line. And as I say, being the one the one community that we are, if, if that was getting to Theo and and getting to Bob and and somebody was saying, you know, you need to change it now, otherwise you'll drop out of it again. Um, as I say, you can't look back and say they made the wrong call because Mark was, you know, probably my best manager as a pro. Um, learned a lot from his career and, and was open about that, um, you know, from Alex Ferguson and being a real man manager. And we, you know, Rhino and Macca were different to that. And Billy Bonds was different to that. So um, so Mark brought in a, a you know, and, and as I say, you ask Mark if you you ever lucky enough to get Mark on, he'll tell you he, he inherited a brilliant squad and a brilliant changing room. And that's what that's what leads to success, not just your ability, but what, what you're like as a group. And and the changing room is is when Mark's not in it. And and that had been developed by Rhino and Macca and the boys that had come through um, and experienced those losses. You know, we were ready and, and that showed that season that we went on to win the league. Because I think when he came in, results really picked up, and I mean really picked up. We just well, we just started scoring goals for fun, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you know, there's there's a, a lot of ways to look at it, you know. But the guy had been everywhere, you know. He played in the top levels. He'd managed. He'd played in the European Cup. So I think um, not saying, and this is you know, it's important not saying that Rhino and Macca didn't do this or couldn't do this. No, but Mark just, I think, galvanised everyone, made everyone relax, made everyone feel positive, you know, would go around the changing rooms, the dressing room, the training ground, and, and just brought us all together. And I think that was just the final thing that, that led to the continued success. And to be honest, you know, even when he was sacked, it, 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 we were disappointed and he was unlucky because, again, we felt we were doing all right. Um but you know there'd been a bit of a change at, at the top of the club, and 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 he just you know agreed with Theo to change it, and, and obviously Wisey he came in, and again we kicked on a little bit further after that. So they're never easy. Nobody ever leaves management positions on good terms, I don't think. But I think you've got to give Theo credit that, that over those few years he made some 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 pretty good decisions. So yeah, we're flying along. What was it like to actually play with? probably Neil Harris at that time, who was, I, yeah, well, I doubt there's been a better period for a goal scorer. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was unplayable, Neil. I, I, I still to this day have not played with anyone who works as hard as him. And, you know, in, initially he, he didn't get his rewards. And then in that season um, and, and, and following seasons, he was just such a pain in the ass in training and in games for, for the opposition's defenders because he would work his nuts off in, in every single channel. He'd run behind, he'd come short. Um, he'd bollock people, you know, he'd, he'd demand the ball and his finishing was exceptional. And, you know, it, it was it was a joy. It was, you know, as a centre-half to know, you could we could almost know when he crossed the halfway line in a certain position, you go, he's going to score it. Or, you know, we just had that connection with, with Eiffel and Reedy out wide and Sads or Moods or Paul Shaw in the earlier days. Um, 
you know, we just knew, and with Timmy following in as well, we, we were just a handful. And and as a back four, with, with you know, with livers in front of us, um, it was a phenomenon. And and you know, I've I've played in plenty of teams since that didn't have a Neil Harris. So um, I was pretty grateful to to experience that time with him. Mate, I'm just smiling just thinking about that season. I'm gonna have a you have long of this big gormless look on my face, I think, for the rest of the day. Just to but remember some of those just, games. And we, we just knew each other so well, Neil. Like we, we just got things right. We had pace everywhere. You know, if Eiffel was playing on the left, you knew that he'd be cutting inside, which would mean Chopper would probably make that angle run, and it would mean Sads or Moods would pull off to the far post which would mean Reedy would come inside. And, you know, we were just a real handful. And, um, and you know, on some of those days at the Den, especially, we, we just couldn't, teams just couldn't cope with us. And, you know, that's a credit to everyone involved that put that squad together. I think what's often forgotten is that, although I think I brought it up, I think we did a piece with Robbie Ryan last week, uh, that Lucas Neal couldn't get into that squad. Lucas Neal yeah. walked into Blackburn's first team, but he couldn't. He, yeah, we were one of the leading Premier League teams at the time, but he couldn't yeah. get a game, could he? No, no, and, and that's a massive credit to Matty. Obviously, Matty had um, Matty had come in, and Matty had um, an incredible, incredible engine as well as ability, because he went on to play left back, centre mid, centre back, centre midfield, and. Um, Lucas was also having some issues with the club over his contract, I think, um, yeah. because they wanted to, to, to secure him. And I think he had other ideas, which he clearly did. Um, but as you say, he didn't get in because of the way that Matty was performing. And, and even Birch dropped in and played there ahead of him, I think, a few times. And yeah, it, was, it, was, it showed just how well we were playing because obviously even with contractual issues, if you need to get Lucas near in the team... You'd get him in, wouldn't you? But, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was a. It was a tricky time, but at the same time, when you were winning, you know, Lucas, Lucas, and Tim were very similar. They were always really confident, but great team guys. You know, they wouldn't bring anyone down. They had their own, their own plans, and and credit to them for what they went on to achieve. Um, but as I say, yeah, for Matty Lawrence, and it showed how good he actually was the career that he went on to have too. So Matty was was a brilliant signing um from a lower league club, I think. Or Wickham. Yeah, Wickham Wanderers, wasn't it? Yeah. So right. um he, he went on to be a brilliant servant and probably captained us in the cup final, I think. Yeah. Do you remember Boxing Day that season? A game against Colchester United. We won six one. That really oh. emphasized that really emphasized where we were because uh they just weren't getting near us, were they? No, well, I knew we. I, I can at least remember one team, and that if that was at the Den, and it was Colchester. It was. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a real, a real special team to be a part of. And as I say, the decisions of, of changing of coaches and and, um, and management, plus the emergence of these youth players, and also having a real decent bunch of seniors. Even the lads that were sort of on the periphery, Bobby Bowery and, you know, Ricky Newman, weren't massive fans of the club, but were fans of us um, and, and and contributed, helping us along the way. Andy, Andy Cook was there for a long time as well. 
Reimagine your life by becoming an RN at Duke Health, a recognized health system in North Carolina's area known as the Triangle, home to award-winning restaurants, beautiful scenic spaces, and an eclectic art and music scene. You'll have plenty to enjoy in the area and cities beyond. What's more, you'll have a career filled with purpose and opportunity, matched by benefits that best support your wellness, family, and future, offering sign-on bonuses and relocation. Apply today at DukeNursing.org. Your work technology should help your organization run better. Monday.com is an intuitive platform designed to help teams of all sizes work better together and maximize results. With Monday.com, you can easily customize your workflows to fit your team's exact needs and create automated updates to keep everyone up to speed in real time. Experience the power of a single platform that replaces your costly tech toolbox and the headache that comes with it. To start your 14-day free trial, go to Monday.com. Paul Shaw, while he was there, knew that the club were moving in a different direction and weren't supporting them so much, but supported us. Um, could have easily turned on us as, as a younger group, but supported us all the way. So, um, you know, credit to those professionals as well. And just as it was looking like we were going to get promoted, uh, Bristol Rovers came to town. Oh, yeah. February 2001. Yeah, I remember that. You probably actually remember it for all the wrong reasons, don't you? Yeah, well, I tell you what, I don't know if it'll be it'll be high enough. I, I might be able to show you the um, show you the Mars bar on the shin there. Look at that. Oh, blimey! Yeah, there you go. yeah, yeah. For those people that can't obviously see, you've got one hell of a scar on your shin. Yeah. So, so basically, they did that. Um, they did that operation to try and get me back fit as quickly as possible. So the, the break, you know, the surgeon told my parents I'd never play again. It was it was shattered. Um, so what they would normally do is, is is what they do now is put a rod down it. But the surgeon basically said, if you do that, he'll, he won't play again. So, again, I was really fortunate that Theo backed me, backed the, the doctor, Des Thompson, and Jerry, the physio, at the time to say – no, let's try and do something a bit different and get him back on the pitch. So that involved a plate and pins as opposed to a rod. Um, and, and to, you know, to be honest, it, it, it worked. It got me back on the field. So, um, so yeah, it was um, yeah, a pretty grim day, that one. What do you remember about it? Oh, everything. Everything. The ball was, the ball was coming out the air um, and the centre forward was on my left and Robbie was further left of that and as the ball was coming out the air I was going to go and volley it with my right foot so I was all my weight was on my left leg and as the ball came down the centre forward moved out of the way and Robbie was sliding to sort of slide tackle the guy or the ball and obviously his his momentum his knee and everything went through my shin so um, I collapsed on the floor um, and the first player that came to me was Lucas um, and Lucas just calmed me down and was shouting, get, get a stretcher on. I, I sat up and went to try and move my leg and felt, you know, everything move and, and obviously knew I was in trouble. So um, yeah. That, yeah, was, that was that. Yeah, I think the whole ground heard that one. That day. Yeah, my mum and dad were up the top and they, they heard it straight away, so they were on their way down. So um, one of those things, unfortunately... Then you wake up in hospital, don't you? And the guy tells you you ain't ever going to play again. It's 
probably the worst thing you wanted to hear, wasn't it? No, no, he didn't tell me. No, he didn't tell me. He told my parents, but obviously they didn't tell me either. Um, They actually didn't operate on me until the Sunday or Monday because the surgeon that they wanted to do it wasn't around. So I was um, I was pretty heavily sedated until um, until he was around to do the surgery. Um, So. Yeah, he he put it all back together, and um, to be honest, I did. I wasn't out that long with it, but the reality is, when I came back from that, um, I'd put on a bit of weight. I'd got a little bit bigger. Um, I was a different body, and I just had a few. I just didn't have full confidence in it, and um, I did my cruciate the first time in training. So everyone thought I was out with a broken leg for a year and a half. But I actually had done my cruciate in that time. So, again, I can blame Robbie for this one as well. I remember it was in a training session and he played the ball down the line for Steve Claridge to chase. And I've turned to chase Steve Claridge into the channel and felt my knee just give way underneath me. Um, now, I wasn't like a huge, I hadn't put on that much weight, but I just obviously was overcompensating on that side. You know, yeah. I still wasn't confident enough on my left. So um, so that was my first cruciate. So, you know, that was really heartbreaking. Sort of the broken leg, I was so so pleased with the progress that we'd made. And as I say, Theo had backed, backed the surgeons and, and the, the process to, to get me right. I, I really haven't had that many issues with a broken leg. Um but when I came back from that first cruciate, I had I had some operations on my left leg to get the plate and the pins out. Had to mess around with a tendon, but then I got back to real full 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 flight again when I played again under Wisey, um, leading into that FA Cup. Um, but that was the, the, the order of my injuries: was broken leg, cruciate, back in the team, and then did my cruciate again, and then later on got back in the team before I left. So it was, um, yeah, it was my knee that that really sort of finished off my pro career because I just lost that yard of pace. And as I say, Neil, I didn't stop growing till I was 24. So I was six foot four by then. And obviously I'd spent a bit of time in the gym because I couldn't train. So, you know, my whole physiology had changed as well as the breaks and, and the and the cruciate. So again, we go back to me at Chelsea, Neil, and, and I, I got out. I had obviously a lot of dark days. Um, anyone who was around Bromley at the time would have seen me in probably every pub within 20 miles. Um, but when I got back to playing at any level, I was again grateful to be playing at all. And and that kept me playing and, and still keeps me playing now. I'm playing over 35s over here. Um, was very grateful to, to have the short career that I did. But the lessons that I learned along the way have meant I still play now. And, and I'm grateful to be able to do that. So. How disappointing was it to actually watch us go on and win the league that year and knowing that you ought to be out there and you would have been out there except for the broken leg? It must have been quite hard to take. To be honest, in the early part, it was that was quite easy. Richard Sadler was in the same situation as me, Neil, in a, in a, with a different injury. I remember we were both up in the gantry at Wrexham doing the commentary with Dino 
And I remember going down on my on my crutches to get down to the fields because that's when we obviously secured promotion. And at that point, you know, I I I I'd been I was just so pleased. So I felt part of it, Neil, because I played however many games. So I felt part of that anyway. I think it was the years after that that, you know, it, it all drifted away from me and, and the club went on, you know, to a different level, you know, and that's that's a credit to the club and the players. You know, it was fantastic. You know, we, we just went from strength to strength. Um, but as I say, in, in you know, at the time when I had that broken leg, I, I still felt very much a part of, of what we'd achieved. So, yeah, well, we're picking up the trophy after yeah. that Oldham game. You're on crutches. How many earth did you get off the pitch quick enough when we all came on? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think I was too far from the edge. I don't think I was too far. <laughs> I was probably still up with Dino doing the commentary. Um, but, you know, it was, it was so, I was, it was a once in a lifetime, Neil, you know, and, and, you know, there, there are people people starving in the world and my mum and dad had beat that into me at a much younger age. So I didn't feel any kind of remorse or any kind of um, jealousy towards anyone else. I was absolutely delighted for the club. You know, the club were paying my wages. I couldn't play. That that all crept in a bit later on, you know, with the knees. and You know, don't get me wrong, I, I couldn't go and watch us. You know, my mum and dad used to go and watch every game at the Den. Um, but I couldn't go because I, 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 you know, there was a definite dark period where I felt completely helpless and, you know, ashamed that I couldn't contribute to the club that were paying my wages. So, um, but I didn't feel any of that on the field when we beat Oldham. So, uh, no, in, at that time, I felt very much part of what we'd done. Something just come back to me about that season. Was it that season where, where Theo had the TV cameras following him? And Neil Harris was complaining about toast and things like that. Was it called Trouble at the Top? I, I, surely that couldn't have been the year that we won the league. I wouldn't have thought so. It was around that been... time, wasn't it? Yeah, I've, I've never seen it, though. What was it, like a documentary on the... Yeah, it was about the big business and how uh, things oh, yeah. in the club and that kind of thing. I vaguely remember that because he was a big deal at the time, wasn't he, with Ryman, Ryman with his big stationary company and other bits and pieces. But I don't think it was the year we won the lead. Now I wouldn't, I don't think that. But and then, so what was Theo like to deal with? Because he'd come in, he'd saved the club, he'd raised his profile. He's now on Dragons Den. <laughs> what was he actually like to deal with as a player? You didn't see much of him. You didn't see much of him at the training ground. Um, you'd see him briefly at, at, the, at the ground every uh, every home game. The reality is he knew he wasn't a football man, Neil, especially in those early days. He, he didn't want to get involved, and that's why he had trusted people around him, you know, who he, he left those decisions to. Um, but a really enthusiastic um, businessman. You know, let, let's not forget that. He was a businessman, and so... You know, it was it was definitely a gamble with all that investing in youth. You know, Paul Eiffel, Stephen Reid, Joe Dolan, um, Robbie Ryan, Richard Sadler, Neil Harris, all of these guys are going to be on a fraction of the money that that some of these players were on before. But there's a reason for that. We haven't played the games that they have. So he took a big tactical gamble, but but it obviously paid off. He picked up the club when, when they were just coming out of administration, I think. 
um, and left them at the top when he felt like he'd taken them as far as he could. Um, I've stayed in touch with him. You know, he was great with me through through my injuries, as I say. You know, gave me a new contract and supported me fully, um, which I'll be eternally grateful for. Um, so I couldn't have asked for a better chairman, to be honest. So you, so if we go back to your career, you've gone through the first cruciate ligament injury. Mm. You get back into the first team. Everything appears to be going well. And then Bradford City, your second game back, your other cruciate knee ligament. No, 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 same leg. Same leg. Yeah, same one. So the only good thing about that was, in the meantime, Tim had done his cruciate. So Tim went to a different knee surgeon than the one that I used. So um, so when I've done my cruciate the second time, I went to, to a different surgeon and, and haven't had any major issues since. But, yeah, I can, I can blame Robbie again, Neil. Don't worry. So Bradford was nil-nil and Mark changed it, went to a back three. He took Robbie off and said, we're going to a back three. We've got to win the game. So he moved me over onto the left side of, of the pitch, played left side of the back three. And if you remember, there's that patch down at the den that gets really wet and muddy. And um, I went to turn the other way this time to run in that channel and bump, felt the cruciate go again, tried to get up and run, but I knew exactly what had happened. Um, So, yeah, that was was tough. You know, again, that was... Jinx on your career then. Hey. Yes, so Robbie Ryan was actually a jinx on your... Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and I remind him of it constantly. But um, we're, we're, we're good mates and, and we get on well. So, um, you know, he, he probably still does feel some guilt and so he should. But, um, no, nah, it was... I just like involving him in it. Gives it a bit of, a bit more um, a bit more enthusiasm, a bit more fun about the stories. But, no, nah, you know, it, it's just one of those things and... As I say, my body shape had changed and, you know, I was still asking it to do the things that I wanted it to do and and it just didn't happen for me. So, um, yeah, you know, there was a trip There was a trip to Germany. We had a pre-season trip and my, my leg had started playing up and um, my toe, my big toe had started receding like this and I couldn't jump, I couldn't run properly. And I remember sitting next to Jerry on the, on the, on the flight on the way home and I said, we've got to get this fixed. I just can't do it. And that surgery went really well. I remember Jerry and Des were in the surgery, and it was the same surgeon who'd done the broken leg. And they actually had to drill away some extra bone. And the bone was flying out, and Jerry and Des were standing right there and going, oh, this is brilliant. <laughs> and, you know, they, they, they'd they been on that whole journey with me, and obviously Richard Sadler was going through it as well with his hip. And... Um, you know, we, we, we worked really hard, you know, and, and, you know, the team were moving on and doing really well. But Mark McGee stayed with us, Gritty stayed with us, Archie Knox, and, and Richard and I did a, did a sports science degree while we were injured. So I, we started that degree in 2001 um, and we finished it in 2004. So when I got, you know, back in the team and before I did my cruciate again, um, we'd got a degree behind us. So that really set us up for the the rest of our life and, and Jerry played a big part in that because I'll never forget one day me and Richard had gone into training and said we're finished we can't be 
it's too much work, we're not going to bother. And Jerry said, well, if you, if you quit, don't come back in this treatment room. So, you know, we knew that he was supporting us and we finished that degree and Richard's now a journalist and uh, hypnotherapist and psychotherapist and writes for the, the, the Irish Telegraph and, and I'm a teacher out here in a, in a private boys' school enjoying myself. So, you know, the club, the club have supported us um, for a long time and, and we'll, we'll be forever grateful for that. So after that second cruciate mm. injury, is that when you knew you probably weren't going to come back from this one? Or did you? Yeah, I mean, you've just got to try and, you know, just compartmentalise it and go, right, this is a new injury, let's move on. And, you know, the leg's doing all right and, and let's let's just focus on this. Um, the, the truth is it never really felt as good as the first one did. So um, with a cruciate, when they repair it, you know, the, the, fir- the first surgeon tightened it up and went bang, away you go. And to be honest, my knee felt fantastic. Um, but with my second reconstruction, there was just a couple of little movements in it. And, and there was a bit of it. There's still fluid on it now that, that will always be there. And it just took that yard away from me, Neil. And, and as a centre-back, if you, you lose that yard, you know, then the confidence goes in you from from around you, your teammates, your coach, and you know it was just a reality that that's what happened. But um, even after that, I still got back and played one more time under Wisey in the lead up to the FA Cup. Um, I came on for Matty Lawrence. I think that might have been against Bradford, Bradford yeah. City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I played, you know, the last twenty minutes or so, and 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 then and then embarked on a on a on a different a different quest with with Crawley and and Stockport and and finished with Brighton, finished with Mark McGee and, and Brighton, and they stayed up on on the last day of the season, um, and then and then went to later on. So you know, obviously by then, as I say, Mill had moved on, and I needed to get playing at whatever level I could play at and whatever level people were willing to 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 put me in their team. So you know that that meant non-league, but you know that was fine and. I got back into my old school and, and set up a little academy there and started teaching and enjoyed playing for, for the next few years before I got a job at Palace, which meant I had to stop playing. So um, that was those few years, yeah. So you were still involved in the cup final run of things, weren't you? But from afar, that must have been bittersweet, really. Yeah, I, I, I was on crutches again at Old Trafford. Um, so I'd obviously had another operation. It must have been that season. Um, but yeah, I, I remember I remember being on the pitch there and, and doing a lap with the boys. And yeah, it, it was definitely a distance by then. Um, but as I say, you know, Wisey and, and Theo had supported me the previous year in, in giving me another year's contract to get fit and, and show what I can do. So um you know, it, it was, yeah, it was definitely that, that distance that, as I say, when it was Wrexham and Oldham, that I was right there, Neil, because I I felt like I'd contributed. And then towards the end of it, you know, you haven't played, you know, you haven't been part of what they've done. So it felt, felt a little bit different. But at the same time, I, I was pleased for the fans. I was pleased for the club. I was pleased for Theo. So I was celebrating more more for, for, for all of us, you know, and, and I think, you know that that was that was great for the club to get to a cup final it was was just an unbelievable achievement. Mate, I think uh, 
I think everybody still struggles to believe that little old Millwall got to an FA Cup final and played in Europe. Absolutely unbelievable. And people, even now, Neil, are still trying to shoot us down before anyone else. You know, it's amazing that, you know, the headlines that they write about all the big clubs, all the big clubs, all the big clubs, and then the only time they ever want to put us up the top it's when it's something negative. It's, it's quite frightening, really. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a credit to the club for the way that they dealt with that. And, you know, even the fans that were involved that have come out and said what they were saying and why they were doing it and, and what they believe. I think that's that's completely within their rights. And, um, you know, that that was, as I, I agree with you, you know, they didn't, nobody wanted us in the cup final. You know, it was um, it was brilliant. And, you know, a real, real nice way for many players to go out. And, you know, my biggest sympathy there is for, for Kevin Muscat. You know, Muzzy had, had played that whole season, you know, taking that, the new youngsters that were coming through the, as I say, the Robos, the Dunnies, um, you know, Marvin Elliott, you know, Marvin came into the group then. You know, the new group of youngsters were being looked after by decent senior pros and, you know, for Muzzy to miss. I think Tony missed, I think Tony missed that game as well, Neil. I think Tony Warner yeah, was injured. Yeah, but he was yeah. injured. Danny Dickier was suspended. Correct, but, yeah. But I actually think, yeah, no, you're right. Your heart goes out to Kevin Muscat because he was such a big part of what that side was about. Um, yeah. Be on the receiving end of a horrendous challenge from Jason McAteer in that semi-final. Yeah, 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 and, and he knew he knew straight away. So, um, yeah, so you know, help him. Were you able sorry? to? Yeah, were you able to help him? Because obviously you'd been through it and you'd known that disappointment. Were you able to? Yeah, you know, we're still friends now, Neil. He's in Belgium at the moment. Bless him, he just got the sack from the club he was coaching at in Belgium. Um, but I, I got on really well with him from the start. You know, he lived he lived in Beckenham. We were in Bromley. Um, one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to share a changing room with. Um, real genuine guy. Um, wants to do well. Ambitious. Um, team player. You know, would do things for the team that, that some people wouldn't even contemplate. You know, the, the referee whistle. Did you ever get onto that one, Neil? Did you know that that no. was Muzzy? No. So Muzzy used to Muzzy used to be able to whistle with his mouth like a referee's whistle, and he used to do it when there was a centre forward through on goal, and um, and they used to stop and think they were offside. And, and this was obviously before the days of all the cameras in the grounds, and. Um, Eventually, they got onto him because there was cameras and he got booked for it and, and he weren't allowed to do it again. But, you know, just just a, a, a real, real team player, you know, training ground player, somebody you want in your team. And anyone who's played with him would say the same thing. So, um, you know, he'd had, a, he'd, had a good, he'd had a good run, obviously, Wolves and Rangers. So he knew he was coming to the end of his playing career anyway. So he didn't take it. He was obviously gutted to not play in a cup final, you know, yeah. and that would have been a real nice way for him to finish too. Um, so, yeah, we helped each other. There's no doubt. You know, as I say, we, we formed a real a real close group around us there in Bromley and Beckenham and, um, 
and yeah, we're, we're still friends, still friends now. So, how did it come about that you eventually started to leave Millwall? Because obviously, you'd had all of these injuries, and they started to loan you out, didn't they? Yeah, and that was with respect to me. I think at the end of the day, they wanted me to get playing again somewhere. Um, and obviously, by then, we were in the championship, and you know, the club had just moved on, and I, and I was I wasn't at that level. Um, so, you know, I went on a little adventure and I think first went to Theo's club down in Walton, played at Walton and Ersham for, for a little while with another young lad called Tim Clancy, who's managing back in Ireland now. And then went to Crawley Town with Francis Vines, who I played for again at Basingstoke for three and a half years and then again at Carshalton. Um, did a bit up at Stockport with Chris Turner. Um, they were struggling in League One and then League Two, but I, I helped a young lad along the way there called Ashley Williams. Um, so I played with Ashley Williams there at Stockport. Um, you know, and, and was, was yeah, yeah just Welsh international. Well, it just showed how you know it, it, what I'd learned from Daishi and Nevers and Fitzy and Tuts, and you know, I, I was starting to be that kind of guy. You know, I couldn't run, um, but I was getting them to do what Nevers used to get me to do for him. The only difference <laughs> was I was twenty. 24, 25, not 30. But, um, yeah, so that, that that happened. I went to Stockport a couple of times and, as I say, Wisey supported me and wanted me to get playing and said, you know, if you want to go to Stockport full-time, I'd, I'd let you go. And I'd say, well, let's just see how it goes on loan. And then Mark came back in and said, look, we need a centre-half down at Brighton. We're struggling. Can you come down? And, and again, that was, that was championship, you know. And, and, I, and I think, again, that was... Just a little bit too much for me. I played a couple of games. Um, I think I was about 15 stone, which is um, which was a bit too heavy. I think I'd I'd, I'd started spending time with Guy Butters. Remember Guy Butters, who used yep, to play yep. for Spurs and, yep. and at Brighton. Right, yeah. I'd started enjoying myself being a roommate with him, which I probably shouldn't have done. Um, and Adam Virgo actually came into the team and did really well, and then got a move to Celtic, but. Mark was really straight with me at the end of that year, Neil. He said, look, you're 15 stone and I can't give you a contract. You need to lose weight and then I'll take you in a heartbeat. So I did that. I was I was, I was, was leaner, but I'd, I'd been offered a contract by Leighton Orient. So I went to Leighton Orient in 2006, I think, um, and and didn't get, didn't get in the team. Played in a friendly at, at the Den um, and that was a real, real positive. I loved that. We played in a pre-season friendly at the Den. Um, I played with John Mackey there and Gary Alexander was up front for us that day. Um, but didn't didn't get into the team and was made an offer midway through the season. Martin Ling said, look, you're not in my plans. I'll pay you up. And Canby Island, who was being run by Jeff King, said, we'll take on your contract. And I went, yeah, you know, no problem. And, 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 um, and went and played for Canby. Um, and then the non-league stuff sort of sort of took over, and as I say, started started the academy and, and my coaching badges, and you know that was that was in my late twenties, and I think that that's probably the reason I'm out here at forty and not fifty when it's probably too old to, to make a move like this. Um, I did all of those badges and qualifications, and it goes back to Chelsea and doing my A level. So I've had had really good people around me for a long time, Neil. So been very fortunate. So did you find it difficult coming out of the full-time game and going into non-league or did you know, yeah, I've run my course here and I've just got to get my head around it? 
Yeah, well, I've basically played in every league except the Premiership. So I'd had a, I'd had a little go in the Championship with Brighton and, and obviously coming on against Bradford for Millwall. Obviously played in League One, played in League Two, played in the Conference for Crawley. So, you know, it was just one of those things as my agent couldn't find another club that would take me. You know, it, it, it just doesn't take long when you've had the injuries that I've, I've had that clubs are just going to say no. Um, so, again, probably I probably knew that two, three years before, Neil, that it would come to an end sooner rather than later. And that would be whether my knee went again or whether I had a problem with my leg. So the joy of actually just getting back out on the grass was more important to me than, than who it was for. Um, you know, there were, as I say, don't get me wrong, the people around me at the time didn't like me very much. You know, there were dark times when, you know, I didn't have a lot going for me. So um, once you get out of that, then you have to you have to find a way forward. And I did that. And, you know, the disappointment of not getting another pro contract was replaced with, well, you were lucky to get one in the first place and you were part of a part of a unit that won a league and got to a cup final. And, um, you know, so that's just how you change your mindset and and, and you can turn positives into negatives and uh, negatives into positives, I should say, and, and just move forward with your life. So I was expecting it. Um, but as I say, the, the fact I could still play at a reasonable level was 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 good enough. And... Um- so you're still mates with everybody, Ian, that you were at Millwall with, and yeah, but do you still yeah. enjoy the same kind of nights out that you did? No, no, not the nights out. No, it's a bit tricky. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a difficult Uber home from here. Yeah, but um, they still have them, and and I, I'll still have them whenever I get the chance to get back over there. Um, because Neil, you know, when you you've been involved in sport as a supporter or a player, coach whatever, it doesn't matter if you're involved in something special, you'll never forget it in your life. And, you know, there are there are people that are in that group that weren't even players but were mates of mine or mates of Mark's or, you know, Mark's brother Lee and, you know, people that were coming to games and supporting us, you know, that, that were part of that, you know, and, and, and I'm just so, so grateful that we brought some joy to, to those Millwall fans over those few years and, and uh, and I was lucky enough to play a few games in it as well. Mate, that's the one thing you've got to take out of this, that we support that club, but you played. You wore that shirt. Um, 100%. That's just something that we'll never, yeah, well, I'll never experience it, and most of us will never experience it. And I think, you know, I, I put a lot of that also back to a good mate of mine called Paul Cooper, um, Paul was a Millwall fan, is a Millwall fan through and through, and he lived in Biggin Hill with me. And um, you know, he he actually grounded me a fair bit. And you know, obviously, you know, I became a bit of a, a hero of his. But at the same time, you know, I was just his mate, and and you know, he taught me a lot about Millwall. You know, I didn't know anything about him, so um, you know, it was it was a it was a great time to be at Millwall. There's, there's no doubt about that. And um, we know we've had some tricky times since then. Um, and I'm sure we'll have some tricky times again, but um, all clubs do. But as I say, it's a club that will forever be in my heart. And, and every time I'm back in the country, you know, bringing Aussie kids over, we come to games. And again, I was fortunate enough to be invited up to the, to the lounge and, 
and have a chat with with the sponsors up there last time I was back. So, you know, I'm looking forward to doing that again whenever we can get back over because it's a very special club and it's played a massive part in, in my life. Well, we've been going for over an hour, so it would be rude of me not to ask you what you're up to now because you're out in Queensland, Australia. What took you over there? Well, um, basically, my wife lived in Sydney for a couple of years while I was playing. Um, we met um, in 99 but didn't didn't get together until a little bit later and she travelled out here and convinced me to come out here on a holiday in 2007. So um, I came out and... We did Cairns and Noosa and Brisbane and the Gold Coast and Sydney. And um, I looked at it and went, yeah, bloody hell, this is an amazing place, but there's nothing for me here. You know, I'm still doing my coaching badges. I'm teaching. I'm playing non-league football, earning a few quid doing that. You can't come back and get it. So, you know, that was the start of it. And then um, a little bit later on, Keith was the first team coach at this school, the school that I'm at now. And he said to me that um, I actually visited Keith in that 2007, um, came to say hello to him here because we stayed in touch because, again, I was always grateful to him um, for giving me my chance. And um, and he said that the director of sport, um, he's like the head of PE, was coming to the UK because soccer, which they call it here, football, was starting to get popular. And, and by then I was working at Crystal Palace as a head of education. Um, just so you know, I did want the job at Millwall, but Kenny Jackett said no. Fitzy wanted me as well, but Kenny didn't want me because I was an ex-player. So um, I did want the Millwall job, but the Palace job came up a month later. Um, so as head of education, Neil, I was working with all the kids that do that day release training, um, making sure they were catching up with their schoolwork and also looking after the, the, the scholars that are doing the apprenticeships. So Aaron Basaka, the kid who's off at Man United now doing really well, he was part of that under-18 group that I looked after for a couple of years. And so the guy from England came out and I took him to a few clubs and he said, why don't you come and have a look at the school? So we came back out again. We had um, we had a daughter by then. Um, so we came out and had another look. And, and the Gold Coast is such a beautiful place now. I don't know if you've, you've ever looked it up, um, but it's a really gorgeous part of the world. Um and the job that they eventually put together meant that for once my wife wouldn't have to work and, and we'd live 10 minutes from here and we decided we'd give it a go. You know, I only, only got a three-year contract and said, let's see, let's just give it a go. We were living in Surrey at the time and my wife was working for the fire brigade. She was doing shift work. I was working for a pro football club, which is basically seven days a week. And we decided to try something different and it's just gone really well. Um, so I've been here six. We've been here six years now, and Laura's been able to raise the kids and and not have to work. And, and I'm now in boarding here as well. Hence the the matron's office that I'm in at the moment. The kids are all away, um, but I'm actually a housemaster now. So we've got a house on site, um, seventy boys to look after when they come back in at the end of January, and um, just really enjoying it. Obviously in charge of the football program as well. And, and we've had a few talented kids come through and, and we bring them back to England so they can have a little look at what goes on over there and just enjoying it for what it is. And, you know, never say never, you know, you, you never know the world is a much smaller place now than it used to be, but our kids are still young and, and having a great time. So, you know, we just see how it goes. Yeah. But you're still on holidays. You told me earlier on. Yeah. And I, I actually said that to the, to the new boarding parents, 
in, a, in an online thing, and I, I regretted it because I think they thought, oh, who's this guy? Fucking hell, he's just on holiday. And what I, I should have explained it because the Aussies don't get us, Neil. They don't really get the humour too much, the sarcasm. Um, yeah, so, yeah, but not um, let's face it. No. Um, yeah, so, you know, it just feels like that, Neil. We just, um, obviously, we miss our families. You know, it's, it's a really tough time. Um, for them back home, Laura's mum's in in West London, um, and so we're you know we're very very conscious of that. And my mum's down in in Paul now near Dorset, but my sisters sisters are pretty close by. So at the moment, Neil, the world feels huge because we can't get back as easily as we could. When my dad when my dad had his final heart attack, you know I was back home thanks to Andy Roberts and his travel company. I was back home within twenty four hours. Um, to be beside his bed. So, you know, that's not going to happen now. So fingers crossed, you know, that, that's a, obviously a major drawback of being this far away. But hopefully we, we, we turn that corner next year and we can catch up with friends again and um, and obviously come back to the den and see some smiley, happy faces again because it's a really special place, mate. And, um, again, I'm really grateful that you brought me on and hopefully um, a few people enjoy the listen. Mate, that seems like an entirely appropriate place to end this recording it's been absolutely superb speaking to you for the last hour and a quarter and doesn't feel like that to me i hope it don't feel like that to you mate it's flown by absolutely flown by and i'd like to thank you very much for making this time and to take us all down memory lane on a nice casual stroll no problem mate i uh i wish you all the best neil and and all the fans that watch we'll be back as soon as we can I'll bring some little Aussies for you and you can um, show them what a real club's like because they haven't got many over here. So thanks for listening. Progressive is America's number one motorcycle insurer, so we understand motorcycles. No, really, we have a bike translator. Okay, so this bike feels like he's capable of a little more than just trips to the convenience store. Oh, also, he wants to let you know that you can buy a gallon of ice cream instead of a pint every time. (laughs) Those are his words. So he said roughly like, blink the last wheel. It doesn't really translate, but the way he said it was super funny. (laughs) Get 24-7 roadside assistance with Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Roadside assistance subject to policy terms and limits and may require comprehensive coverage. Picture this. You're fully immersed in your podcast because in the back of your mind, you're not trying to recall when that deadline was supposed to be or stressing to keep everyone updated on next steps. MeetMonday.com, a work management platform that makes having peace of mind easy. With Monday.com, all your work lives in one centralized place. You can automate updates to keep team members up to speed and ensure nothing falls through the cracks, even while you're enjoying your favorite podcast. 
To start your 14-day free trial, go to monday.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.